we're back, and welcome to another episode of Mike, Mike, and Oscar. I'm your co-host, Mike One, co-host also Mike in a minute, but we have a special episode today getting back to the MMO interview series. Uh, we have Chris Gore on the show today. Very excited about it. Chris is definitely a pioneer of nerd culture with uh, over 30 years, I think. 35, maybe. Been around a while, yeah. Years of experience uh, covering the film industry. But he's also worked in the business. I mean, he's worn many hats from screenwriter to documentary film subject interviewee, I guess. (laughs) And he's going to become the interviewer. But he's also done a bunch of crew positions along the way to his uh, current position of producer and director of a new documentary film that we can't wait to talk with him about. He's also the author of several tremendous books about the movie industry like The ultimate film festival survival guide something that we've been diving into recently looking to get into the film festival life ourselves yeah. uh and of course he's known perhaps most well known from his eight years and over 70 episodes on attack of the show on g4 and, and yet he still he can't stop he won't stop <laughs> he's, he, a, he's he's in our lives every day absolute dynamo one of the pioneers of this kind of uh the shifting landscape of nerd culture being kind of in the mainstream here yes he's founder and editor of filmthreat.com you know him from his comedy album books movie reviews variety of podcast appearances and maybe like mike kind of hinted at here best from his time on attack of the show's dv Tuesday segments which is he would come on and catch us all up on the latest mm. releases in physical and special edition media and now you can see him all over the internet he's campaigning his kickstarter for attack of the dock on both the kickstarter website and attack of the dock.com where he is raising funds in order to create a definitive behind the scenes documentary capturing the legacy of the single greatest nerd culture show in history attack of the show formerly on the g4 network listeners of the mmo universe i give you here mr chris gore as the latest subject for mmo interviews all right, Chris Gore on the line right now. Chris, welcome. Thank you very much for being on our show. Wow. Uh, well, thank you for having me. The timing could not be better. I have something to plug. <laughs> in the middle of this huge undertaking, which, like I said earlier, uh, right. as a fan, I thank you for, and I know a lot of people are excited about it. We can't wait to talk to you about it, and obviously we want to hear all about the documentary and all the goodies you're offering for the Kickstarter and upcoming Patreon attached to it. But I guess just to, to right. give people a background, can you give us just a quick recap of kind of the road that brought you to the doorstep of Attack of the Show for the first time? Well, well, that's a oh, that's going to be a big question. And I, I promise you that none of this is going to be in the documentary because the documentary is not about me. But, but it, it I, what led me to it was I had done a bunch of television before that, and I had no aspirations to ever be on TV. So I was a writer who did this thing called Film Threat that I started when I was in high school. You know, which mm-hmm. was this sort of punk rock, rebellious, angry. Uh, you know evolved into a movie magazine that covered cult and eventually independent films and whatnot. So it was sort of this lone voice in the nineties. <laughs> and that sort of led me to doing TV. They're like, Oh, you're, you're funny. You write funny things. Maybe you could say funny things. <laughs> and then I got hired. My first real TV gig after doing some like guest spots and stuff was, uh, was I was on a show called the X show, which was sort of a, uh, sort of a com- competition to the man show, which actually is a show that I liked better than the X show, even though I was on the X show. <laughs> okay. And I'd never done TV before. I just, uh, you know, and then I realized that being on TV is really easy, like as a host. And by that, I mean, like there, I can tell you everything you need to know right now about how to be on television. 
get really good at walking up to a piece of tape and, and just stopping where the tape is. <laughs> oh, wow. Very complex, it sounds that's like. Called, <laughs> that's called making your mark. And then the other thing is, if you have to read teleprompter, just read it, but pretend you're not reading. Pretend you're talking to someone. Ah, <laughs> I like that. Okay, uh, you're done. That's it. So I learned that very quickly. And then that led to just doing, I, I didn't really audition or care much. I mean, I was writing, I, at the time I was like a stay-at-home dad raising my kids and writing books and doing the Film Threat website, which because mm. you know, when print died in the late 90s, it was all about the internet. So so I did the Film Threat website, was writing books, and then I just kept getting hired for other TV gigs, which I found to be really inconvenient. Um, and so I think that, that my attitude, I didn't realize this at the time, but my attitude of like not caring whether or not I got hired is what got me hired. Huh. So, which was very strange. It's, um, I don't know, can, can uh, I, I don't know if I can swear on this show. Absolutely. But, okay, cool. <laughs> it's, it's, like a, it's, it's like a who gives a shit attitude is very attractive, hmm. right? So it's like, you because you weren't like seeking these things out, you think they came to you more naturally. Exactly. Like just sort of like uh, desperation is not an attractive trait. Right, right. right. Like in, in any situation, a hiring situation, a dating situation, <laughs> like it just, it just isn't. So, but it was me, it was more out of practicality because I, to me, I was more focused on like film threat, writing books and raising my kids. That's like, was my priority. So I just kept getting hired and I did a show for stars called festival pass, which was like going to film festivals. Then I did a show for IFC called ultimate film fanatic. I'm sure there are clips of all this stuff on YouTube. Right. So I did a lot of random TV, but then I did, I did, there were, there was TV I didn't want to do. Like I got offered to the E channel to be on the gossip show, which I had no interest in. No, I had no interest. I said, I will. It's like, no, thank you. I have no interest. I don't want to be on the gossip show. I don't know celebrity gossip, nor do I care about it. It's, it's it, it just wholly uninteresting to me. But then a guy named Gavin Purcell interviewed me for National Enquirer TV, and he came to my house, this guy, Gavin Purcell. So Gavin comes to my house, and I'm like, I really don't want to be on National Enquirer TV, just not. He's like, no, no, you're the, you're the sort of expert talking head about movies. I'm like, okay, good. I, I'm I'm comfortable with that. Yeah, it makes sense. And so I did that. But but after my experience on IFC doing Ultimate Film Fanatic, I was like, I just was not really happy. I was like, you know what? I'm done doing TV. This is stupid. I don't want to, I don't like being molded into an image of something that I'm not. Sure. Right. <clears throat> I'm pretty much a nerd, geek. You know, I, I dress kind of schlumpy. I mean, uh, I could throw on a blazer and look decent. Uh, my, my girlfriend will clean me up. I look okay. But... But, I, you know, so so I was kind of done with doing TV. And then out of the blue, I, I watched screensavers. I mean, I watched tech TV. I was a fan. Like, I loved it. I, tech TV, I thought, was amazing. I'm like, oh, my God, this is everything that I care about. It's, just, you know, it's covering just tech and video games. And just and it was really in-depth. And I, I really love screensavers. So this guy, Gavin Purcell, suddenly calls me out of the blue. You know, he says, hey, remember I interviewed you a couple of years ago? that national Enquirer TV thing. So I'm doing this show. Uh, come over and talk to me. They had this segment called DV Tuesday. They, they wanted like a movie expert and he, I didn't audition. He just offered me the job. Oh, wow. He just offered me the job. He said, we want you to be our movie expert. We're just sort of collecting experts and we want you to be our movie expert on this DVD segment. I said, okay. 
and said, if I'm going to do this job, <clears throat> I have three requests. One, I want to be able to say whatever I want within reason. You know, I'm not going to swear. Right. Although later, <clears throat> later I found out I could mispronounce swear words. You could mispronounce. Now, what does that entail? I would say that this director is a total shithead. <laughs> totally beating the system. I like that. Exactly. And and I got away with it. I, I mean, I got it approved in advance. So I said, number one thing is I want to be able to say whatever I want. So when I am speaking, I am being myself on camera, which I'd never in previous uh, television I'd done. I didn't really have an opportunity to be myself. Right. And that was frustrating. So I want to be myself and I want to wear whatever I want, because on a lot of these other TV shows, they'd want to hit me up mm-hmm. into dressing stuff. I'd never I would never wear this in real life. I mean, sure, it looks it's cool, but I, that's not me. I'm more of a <clears throat> I'm a t-shirts and, and jeans kind of guy, right? Right. So I want to wear whatever I want, and then I want to be able to keep the DVDs that I review. Smart. And Gavin <laughs> says, exactly. Like I just want to keep the DVDs because I was not getting paid a lot of money. It's a smart negotiation. Yeah, I was the lowest paid person on Attack of the Show. To be clear, all right. <laughs> so all right. that. That no seriously that the 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 whole like equal pay gap it's like it it doesn't apply in the entertainment industry where your value is 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 based on totally different factors sure right? so the female talent was getting paid twice three times four times more than I got paid all right so in any case but that's a whole other argument that's a whole other thing but like I said so I want to be able to keep the DVDs and Gavin Purcell said well I can agree to the first two. But you can't keep the DVDs. We need to keep them in the producer's library in case we need them, which I found out later was just a place where people would steal and take home DVDs. <laughs> so, so everybody had that in their contract, basically. Precisely. Yeah. So that's how I got on Attack of the Show. Now, I was actually on three episodes of The Screensavers, and Gavin Purcell in that same meeting said, look, you need to keep this a secret. We're changing the name of Screensavers to attack of the show. Mm, okay. And I'm like, and I thought the name was so stupid. <laughs> I said, uh, okay, don't worry. I'm not going to tell anybody. Yeah, that secret is safe. <laughs> yeah. So that was March of 2005. I believe the first episode of attack. Of the show was March 23rd, 2005. I was on three episodes of screensavers before that, uh, with Sarah Lane and, and Kevin Pereira and Kevin Rose. I don't know if you remember, mm-hmm. but, um, it was it was cool. So I was a fan of the show and I was on the show, which I think kind of makes me like I, I've got like inside knowledge at the same thing. I don't at the same time. I don't know everything. Right. Like I wasn't around every day in the office, eight hours a day. I'd come in a couple times a week, do my gig. And that was it. But like I also traveled sometimes for for attack of the show, which I found out later. Here's another thing. They would send me to like Russia to do the junket for Transformers, I think it was Transformers 3. Right. And all these other countries, they'd fly me out. I'm like, this is great. You know, I'm going to these junkets. It's a lot of fun. Come to find out that, like, because of the way that my contract was, uh, everyone else, all the other talent on Attack the Show, if they flew more than 500 miles, had to be upgraded to business class or first class. Mm. (laughs) And not you. Because that was not in my contract. Oh, Jesus. They saved a ton. They saved a ton of money by flying me around because they could fly me in coach. Sure. Now, look, am I going to complain about flying coach to to Paris? Like, no. Like, 
I thought it was great. Like I felt very fortunate and, and lucky at the same time. I'm like, God, I should get, I should have had, I, I didn't have an agent or a manager at the time. I just negotiated my own deal. And I didn't really, I don't really care about stuff like that. I care about what's my time commitment, how much am I being paid? And can I do, is this something I really care about? Yeah. Right. So, but it was, it was really disconcerting when I went to Russia and they were like, Hey, do you have all these other journalists that had come out? Do you have K and R insurance? And I'm like, K and R insurance. What's that? It's kidnap and ransom insurance. That's a thing. If you go to other countries where Americans can be targeted, there's a thing called K and R insurance. And what that means is if, if I'm kidnapped and you know, they, they kind of know how much money those insurance companies pay like a million bucks. So then you, you, they, the insurance company pays a million bucks and then you get returned by the kidnappers and it's a whole scam in other countries. Holy well, shit. <laughs> everyone, everyone had K and R insurance except for me. Oh no. <laughs> so yet another time where like my, you know, look, I'm sitting here negotiating to get free DVDs. I fail at that. <laughs> right. but I didn't, I didn't keep any of these other things in mind. I mean, so like, whatever. At the time I started on Attack of the Show, March of 2005, I really didn't care about doing TV all that much. I just, it was sort of like, I'm done with TV. I want to focus on writing books and producing films. Because I had made a film then that I uh, co-wrote and produced called My Big Fat Independent Movie. Mm -hmm. And I don't want to brag, but it's 23% on Rotten Tomatoes. (laughs) It's... Higher, higher than the Josh Trank Fantastic Four movie. Oh, look at you! Uh, so you're basically, yeah, you're basically in the the comic book world, the comic book movie world. Oh my god! Yeah, <laughs> exactly. But but like whatever. So so my experience, and also I was on the show until the very end. I mean, we 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 quit shooting the show. I think it was December 2012. I I know the exact date. I have it somewhere, but the continued to run episodes through 2013. So I was actually on the show longer i was on every sort of you know i was attacking the show from the beginning and to the very bitter end so that's a long answer to your question so my apologies no no we love it and uh i'm sure you're thinking who's this other voice on the show here Uh, we're not penn and teller i was just i was riveted riveted by the origin story and thanks for telling that uh we want to talk about what made Attack of the Show so special for you, because it really was ahead of its time. I mean, you're a pioneer in nerd culture. You're a pioneer nerd in that way. What do you think was the special sauce there? Why Why are you reassembling the fans now for Attack of the Dock? Because I believe that social media has fractured fandom. Hmm. Interesting. And I... I think it's really sad. I mean, you can blame the political climate. I mean, you could, uh, you, you can blame a lot of forces out there, but I truly believe that the only way we're going to solve any of the world's problems is if we learn to talk to each other respectfully online. Mm, and we still don't know how to, we still don't know how to do that. You know? No, so don't. what I believed was that there was a special moment in time when all this technology was new. I mean, when I started at Attack of the Show, I think I had a Moto Q phone. <laughs> Old the, school. The, the iPhone, exactly, the, the iPhone didn't come out until 2008, and I didn't even sign up for Twitter until 2009. And right. now, of course, my Twitter history is ripe for 
for seeking out things that would get me canceled. <laughs> but oh my god, there's so many. I mean, look, I, I didn't make any jokes along the line of of like a, a James Gunn, even though I thought I didn't have a problem with his jokes. They were just they were just bad jokes. Yeah. That's not that's not a reason to to divide us or, or to hate or to cancel people. Yep. I think I think if I think if you're Bill Cosby or Harvey Weinstein, yeah, you should go to jail. Yeah, mm. but we, we, we stand united on that front. <laughs> yeah, if you if you're saying stupid shit up because partially social media when it first started was sort of like I don't know what this is, but I'm just going to get feedback on material. It was it was sort of at least for comedians and writers, it was like because feedback is like oxygen to an artist, right? Like sure. just getting a feedback from from fans. So so I really feel like. Attack of the Show existed in a moment in time where we all came together in one place and discussed what happened today in tech. What's going on with this casting for this movie? The Christian Bale's going to be Batman? Like, what's happening? Or, or no, Keith Ledger's going to be the Joker? Mm. More appropriate. Um, <laughs> like, what, you know, what's happening in the world of video games, right? What, it was this one place. What's happening on the internet, right? You know, around the web. This show was a a sort of united all these things. Whereas like, and I, this is why I include included YouTubers. If you go to our Kickstarter, if you go to like attack of the doc.com, you can click from there to to go to the Kickstarter and you can check out the video we did. Like I interviewed some, some YouTubers that, that basically say attack of the show was the reason they decided they could do television. And as I explained earlier, like walking up to a piece of tape, just read read something like you're talking to to a person. Right. It's not difficult to be on TV, and what I think that Attack of the Show did, its vacuum, created a generation of YouTubers that talk about all of these things separately. You know, they talk about like video games or movies or. You well, know, I think I think um, you're absolutely right, but that's why I'm a little surprised. Like, it was a highly influential show, certainly in nerd culture, certainly in tech culture, but. I've heard people like Kevin Pereira on various podcasts saying he doesn't think something like that would work today as like a, a single base for all those offshoots. I mean, do you share that opinion? Yeah, he may be right. He may be right that it may it may not. But I also think the other secret sauce of Attack of the Show wasn't just that it was this conversation that was a shared conversation that, I mean, something would happen on the show in one moment and then the next day people are, you know, making fun of Olivia for saying Mick Hammer Right, because she famously, <laughs> this is true about Olivia. She famously could not. She everything had to be phonetically spelled out for her. Oh, really? <laughs> so, which totally screwed me up because I'd see teleprompter and I'd see words just as a, you know, I'm an old school King's English guy coming from the place of being a writer, and I would see this stuff and I couldn't understand it. It's like, oh, because it's written to be phonetically read. Sure. Right. So I'd see misspellings in there, and that was done later, but. And there's a lot of interesting things that are going to come out in the show. I mean, we're seeking out footage, but um, like there's a host that was, uh, it was, it was really down to like two people to be the host when Olivia started and the other, I, I'm, I don't know if you're curious to know who the other person was. Of course. Who did an amazing audition, but I, what they thought was the executives thought she was too tall so may not have matched. Like it's funny because all the all the guys on the show we were about the same height. We were about like five nine, <laughs> five nine, five ten, and which the wardrobe department loved because we all wore like the same size <laughs> t-shirt, the same size almost of everything. Right, right. But Whitney Cummings actually auditioned. I'm trying to get the tape. Oh no shit! Huh. 
and it was down to her and and also getting i'm getting like a lot of footage like a lot of the editors who worked on the show saved drives full of stuff um one of the original webmasters has all this footage that was shot behind the scenes i mean we do intend to use footage from the show itself uh fair use for a documentary but i'm trying to get as much as possible like footage i personally shot on my moto q i mean i have you know, hundreds of photos from trips and, and things. And I know that a lot of people do as well. So I'm collecting footage from everybody and just trying to tell the stories. Like you wouldn't know the thing about Olivia having to have like phonetic spellings for her. Right. All those little interesting tidbits there. Yeah. But Kevin may be right. I, I'm not sure. I think that the lightning in the bottle also was the chemistry between Kevin and Olivia. Um, I believe Kevin was bred in a lab to be a host on television. He is like unbelievable. Isn't that like tailor-made for his existence? He's unbelievably good at it. Unbelievable. He's the best person I've ever worked with in television, just in terms of being a human being off camera, right? Oh, very cool. Just in terms of his very, just his demeanor, just everything. I admired him, even though I'm, I'm like, you know, 10 years older than the guy. He, he was really a hero of mine when I worked there. I looked up to him. Um, he was He was great. But he was also like this a natural, the quickest wit of anyone I've ever known. I mean, just, and I've met a lot of actors, comedians, whatever. Kevin, quick, I mean, just like his brain is nine steps ahead. You know, he's, he's playing 40 chess in the, in the joke round. So he's a natural, but I will say this, if there's a criticism of Kevin, he's a terrible actor. And I mean this in the sense that like, I think he's a very honest person. So he believes acting is sort of betraying honesty, whereas conversely the flip side of that olivia was not such a great host she was an actress who pretended to be a host and i believe that she is an exceptional actress that's never actually fully she's never fully i mean she's she's done so many parts in movies but i really feel like olivia's path better path might have been starring in an independent film where she's the lead and something that's written for her. And that's never happened in her career. She should have a movie at Sundance where she breaks out, you know? Yeah. Don't think it's too late for that. I could certainly see that happening for it's, her at some it's, point. It's not too late at all. Yeah. But the thing is, because they had these complementary opposite thing, you know, Kevin being like this masterful improv, quick wit, brutal honesty, and, 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 and you know, just, just like natural as a host where you don't, teach it he just is it right and then you have olivia coming in saying i want to be an actress i'm gonna do this hosting thing as a side gig right so she's doing this hosting but she's she's an actress pretending to be a host but she's such a good actress she ends up being a really good host does that make sense oh so you think she was like even even the hosting side of her was a performance for for her she wasn't like you feel like maybe that was kind of her acting her way through it Absolutely. That is exactly what I'm saying. That is, that is, that is my opinion. But I, but as for Kevin saying that, and, and look, like I'm making this documentary as a way for people to reflect on a very recent moment in our sort of digital development, right? Um, because we've become these devices that we have are so ubiquitous. It's, I mean, you can quit all social media, but you need that phone for so many other types of things, right? You right. need our, I mean, there's just so many things now. It's just like, it's become a necessity, right? Mm -hmm. um, I, 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 I want people to reflect back on this period that is our very recent history and look at how we were then as a way to contrast how we are now. 
So that's part of, I do want to explore, in addition to this nostalgic look back at Attack of the Show and let's reminisce and look mm. at these memories. If the, if the documentary were only that, I, I, that's not enough. I mean, you can do that yourself by going down a, uh, you know, the rabbit hole on YouTube and, and looking at clips. What I want to show you is, I want to show you a view of the show you've never seen, and I want to show you a time that you may, you may not remember when we treated each other differently and to make us maybe take a look at how we are today. Well, that sounds like you have a lot of heart behind this as opposed to just, you know, trying to retell just the story, which is, I mean, certainly it's nice to hear that you're that attached to it. I know my, I, we have a question about your history with documentaries. Yeah, we're very curious. Uh, we saw on your IMDb, 1986, 1987, you were compiling stuff for a couple documentaries with F-bombs in them. And I, I, I was wondering how many documentaries did you work on to where you said, all right, I can do this. How much from Attack of the Show, how much of your experience is there just uh, spurred you to say, all right, I, this kind of content is, is what I want to do. And you are the one of the key travelers of the film festival world. How many documentaries inspired you to want to, want to make this one? Well, a, a lot of documentaries, but I will say that like my, you know, um, just, I guess the best way to say it is everything I've ever done, I never did before that. And huh. to be clear, to be clear, I am a college dropout that has a book that I wrote that's required reading in college. And I always say this when I do a speaking gig, I go to like, I go to USC, UCLA, or, uh, you know, uh, the American Film Institute, AFI, um, NYU, my book, The Ultimate Film Festival Survival Guide, is required reading as part of independent film studies. And I do a lot of speaking gigs at colleges, and I mention this because I realized when I was in college that, like, what was I doing? I was regurgit I was reading a book and then regurgitating the contents of the book to a professor to prove I read the book and paying exorbitant sums uh, because I grew up pretty dirt poor, so um, to the point where I wanted to go to USC film school because that's where George Lucas went and he was my hero growing up. Right. Sure. Come to find out how expensive USC is. That's where the rich kids go. Mm. And you don't really, you don't really know you're poor until you reach a certain age. You're just like, Oh, you know, I mean, I really feel believe that from a family standpoint, as long as you're loved, no one cares. You know what I mean? Like it, m money is not more money does not solve problems. Right? right. So, but I didn't realize that. So on a, on a trip to the West coast to visit my uncle, I begged my mom to take me to the campus of USC and I went and I bought every book I could afford that was a part of the film program. And then I wrote down the titles and authors of all those books because I vowed, I said, if I can't get the education that these kids get, I'm going to read all of the same books. And I mm -hmm. did. I read every single book. So, and I, I'd always sort of, always sort of planned film threat to be this, like, I'm going to do this for a couple of years, then I'm just going to go and make movies. Well, it's, 35 years later, <laughs> I'm still doing film threat, <laughs> but you know, I've done, I produced television. I mean, like the show festival pass I did. I mean, that's a reality show. Um, you know, I produced, uh, you know, this film, my big fan independent movie, uh, which actually was profitable, which, so everything I've ever done, I never wrote a book. I, I taught myself how to write a book. Uh, and I can teach you how to write a book in about five minutes. Um, <laughs> Go ahead. You taught us how to go on TV <laughs> yeah. already. There's yeah. a lot of life lessons here. I like it. it well, I, I, let me correct that. Nonfiction book, not a fiction okay. book. Non -fiction. Sure. But nonfiction, um, 
it's got to be a topic you care about, very passionate. I spend, here's my method, feel free to steal this and use it. And I, I've coached my friends a lot on like how to, how to do this. Like how, every friend of mine that's like, how'd you write, like, because I've written a bunch of books, and how'd you write those books? I said, yeah, let me tell you, it's really easy. I said, first, spend six months thinking about the subject and write a detailed outline. The detailed outline for me usually ends up being between 15, 30, sometimes 40 pages. Oh, wow. And what I do is I write a topic heading for each section I'm going to write about 500 or a thousand words. But I, but I, I, and I keep notes. So I keep this lo- and I spend six months thinking about the book. Oh, this section, it's got to end here. I got to connect again. Usually start at the beginning and the end and then sort of meet in the middle. And, and it's a very detailed outline. Then I get up in the morning about 5 a.m., write for three hours, and I write about a thousand, maybe two thousand words every day. Hmm. And in one month, I have a book. Oh, wow. But I look at the outline and I look at the outline like, okay, this is what I'm writing this morning. And then you, when you're in that sort of groggy 5 a.m. state and you yeah. haven't had coffee and you're kind of like in this sort of, you're in the, I, I call it the zone. You're just in the zone. You're not questioning. You're just automated at this hmm. point. So the average book is between 50 to 60,000 words. So if you spend six months doing an outline and one month writing a first draft, and then of course going back and honing and editing what you wrote in your sort of early morning groggy state. Um, and I say, do it in the morning. And this is almost true with every writer. I mean, every writer has a different sort of variations, but it's, it's really just consistency. The, the truth is you don't write a book. You write a thousand words a day. And that, will end up with a book. It's the same thing. You don't, I'm going to go make a movie when you make like a list of things you're going to do. I'm not going to make, no, I'm going to shoot every day for six months. And then we're going to have this documentary, which is we're going to shoot for six months. So can can I tell you something? I mean, speaking of education that costs way too much money, but you would have done wonderfully in law school because that's a very similar approach (laughs) to what goes on there. (laughs) You have to have these detailed (laughs) outlines. I know it's a little bit of a tangent (laughs) off subject, but yeah, that's the exact same approach almost. Right. It, well, it's, it's just like, so, so like, yes, I've never directed a documentary, but I am producing a documentary now that's mm-hmm. actually about film threat called Film Threat Sucks. If you look up Film Threat Sucks, I'm not directing it. It's being directed by a music video director named Mink, and he, he got the rights to it. So he's doing that right now. And it's about film threat in the 90s. That's specifically what oh, it's wow, about. That sounds really cool. Uh, this, you know, like the, the sort of rise and fall of the magazine. Um, so, and then sort of telling the history of indie film through the lens of Film Threat Magazine, because it was the kind of the magazine of record. So because you're wearing all these hats, though, and you have all these things you've wanted to do and have accomplished in your career, is is making a big documentary something you've always wanted? Is it like a bucket list item, or is this something that just you think you can do when do well, and you kind of want to, you know, give it to the fans? Uh, in a way, yeah. I mean, it's like, it's not necessarily a bucket list item. I've got like other projects that I want to do, other films I want to make. Sure. Um, I, I mostly hate mostly animated shows. Um, I, 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 my, my real thing is I want to be a, a big goal of mine is to be a showrunner for an animated series because I feel like animation is a place where you can get away with more complicated types of, I mean, if you look at the show, the Simpsons, I mean, the Simpsons is the most radical thing. If it was live action, it would never be on TV. The commentary that Simpsons, makes about religion drugs Mm -hmm. uh just families like you could never do that you could never do the simpsons as a live action but in animation 
this stuff just sort of goes, it just sort of flies off the, off the rails. It's, I mean, it's hysterical. So yeah, I, I, I want to do an, uh, an animated series. So, so as yeah. far as like a motivation for doing this doc, do you think it comes more from, I know I can do this, so I'm just going to do it. Or do you think it's drawing specifically from, no, so, I mean, I mean, go, if you can go into that. Well, I want to, no, well, specifically, I want to, well, one, it's because every, I go to conventions, right? I've been going to San Diego Comic-Con since 89. Mm-hmm. I've been going to like, you know, I met, when I was a little kid, it was the, I grew up in Detroit and the comic book section was sort of an adjunct to the Detroit auto show. <clears throat> you know, they'd have a room where they'd have comic books and they'd show 16 millimeter prints of Star Trek episodes. Hmm. So uh, that's sort of where I got my nerddom and my, my father and I were like, we were big Star Trek fans, right? Okay. So we would go to these things, go to the Detroit Auto Show, and I'd go to where they had the comic books. I met people like Leonard Nimoy and Adam West and stuff. So I've been going to Comic-Cons for a long time, and I can't go to a Comic-Con without someone saying, hey, Chris Gore, Attack of the Show, whatever happened to G4? What <laughs> happened to Attack of the Show? Why? Right. So part of doing this doc is really to answer, give a definitive answer to that question. Hmm is what happened, right? To take a nostalgic look, because I think there's been enough distance of time. And then to, uh, as I was saying earlier, kind of address this, let's reflect on what's happened, technologically speaking, from 2005 to the present, this 15 years, and how different, how different things are. It's really, it's really something I'm passionate about. I kind of wonder, now you were, you were in it there for eight years, and you have to have some hypotheses about you know these driving questions of why did attack of the show you know get canceled at the end of the day and you got to have some theories or at least some preconceived notions how is this investigation going so far can you tease us in any way shape or form about you know what you're finding thus far oh well here's what's fascinating is just the the publicity from doing this campaign to do the kickstarter and and make this documentary People are coming out of the woodwork. <laughs> oh, People cool. are sharing sharing memos, are sharing all sorts of fascinating details about the real numbers on Attack of the Show, like executives sort of moves. So, and I've met with some people already who are feeding me information. It will definitely be thread in the documentary, you know, mm. trying to get that definitive answer because, you know, it wasn't low ratings. I mean, no, the, the, yeah. the shows the shows did great, and it, it was. I, you know, I feel like what's going to happen is I'm going to do this entire investigation and I'm going to find out that the reason that Attack the Show was canceled was corporate bullshit. Uh, it, yeah. It, 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 you <laughs> know what I mean? Like, Unfortunately, like, like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's really going to be just a bunch of corporate bullshit, which happens all the time. But if you look at how nerd, I mean, it's, it's in, could you imagine if Attack of the Show continued? Now, I don't think that I would still be on the show if it continued to today. I think that they would, you know, they'd replace hosts here, here and there and stuff, and the show would evolve as any kind of new show like that evolves. So, sure. But if the show existed to today, we are living in the, I mean, it's, it's beyond the golden age. I mean, you know, the fact that the Infinity Saga exists, 10 years of Marvel movies, you know, yeah. like things we thought we'd never see a justice league film, whatever you think of that movie, you know, like, like, like this is, I mean, it's insane that 
G4 was canceled as a network when we're living in a time where nerd culture dominates in every space and we have these devices that are just ubiquitous. This conversation, I think, I, I really wish the conversation had continued with or without me, but the conversation just so this, it would just be this ongoing thing where collectively, because there is no collective space where we all have this conversation, right? Right. There, we're, you know, and I, that, that's part of the show that I love the most was like the Around the Web when Kevin would do the loop, which I was on on occasion, right. which was a just, you know, like, like, let's talk about this. The new iPhone is coming out. What's different about it? Let's discuss it. And when you look at most of the people on the show, they weren't TV people. They were just people that had an expertise. I mean, Blair Butler was a huge, I mean, she was a writer, she was a comedian, but also huge deep knowledge of comic books like right insane i mean it's it's asinine that that show isn't i mean that's something like that especially with the lineage that it had and the history it had it was at the forefront of this like entire sea change of nerddom being in the mainstream i mean yeah the mcu just kind of getting kicked off here like you said these you would have been right. the hub for all of it it would have been and i and um that's you know at least what i hope is that the executives that are responsible will feel some sense of regret and think, you know what, maybe that was, maybe that was a bad move. You know, when you look at, when, when you look at some of the bad decisions, you know, in, in entertainment history, this will go down as one of the worst, I hope, you know? So in that vein, if you're, if you're getting all these people and people are coming out of the woodwork and offering up information to help fill in kind of the story of, of attack of the show and G4 here, I mean, how widespread is your reach? Like if you, is there one person out there that you're kind of at least hoping to get a couple minutes to bend their ear with? Is there like one person that you have like a burning question for? Oh, oh, uh, on the executive side. Yeah. yeah. I mean, they're not anyone that you would know, but I mean, at the end of the process, I want to interview Kevin and Olivia. Mm -hmm. So my intention is to interview everyone. If we reach this next stretch goal, mm -hmm. just to plug attack of the doc, go to attack of the doc.com click the link to go over to the Kickstarter. And even if you just donate a dollar, if you donate a dollar, you'll be credited in the movie. You can't beat that. Yeah. Yeah. And you'll get updates. You'll get updates um, and exclusive videos that we're going to share with backers only. Mm -hmm. uh, but if we reach this next stretch goal, and it looks like we will, the movie will be released. There'll be a Blu-ray backers only edition, right? Mm -hmm. Only going to backers. But um, it'll allow me to travel because I want to interview Adam Sessler, right? Sure. I want to interview Will O'Neill. I want to interview Sarah Jean Underwood. They're not in the LA area. So well, no, Sarah Jean Underwood, I think you got to go to the forests of Oregon, right? Uh, that's where I will go. <laughs> I will brave it. But what we'll be doing is we're going to be interviewing as many people as we possibly can um, over a cor the course of about six months. And then the plan is to talk to Kevin and Olivia at the end. I think in order to do that, I mean, the thing is this though, we've collected over the last year, we've collected and archived footage, logged footage. There are so many podcasts, interviews with Kevin and Olivia. There could be a version potentially made of this documentary without speaking to them at all, where you would feel that they're actually part of it, right? Mm. That's not what I want to do. My goal is to gain their trust so that when they understand what I'm doing, when they understand that there's a, a bigger picture involved, when they understand that, like, look, I'm not interested in gossip about the show. Mm -hmm. I'm not looking at, say, 
you know, a, a warts and all version that would cast anyone in, in a negative light. Uh, I'm looking to get a real answer as to what happened to the show and to also discuss in context now, like what the show meant. And, and what's weird is just how much it meant to so many people. That's, I mean, I say that in my Kickstarter video, it's just, mm-hmm. it, it meant a lot to so many people too. I, I, and the thing is this, I was on a bunch of TV shows. No one mentions those. No one says, Hey, Chris Gore of ultimate film fanatic. No one says that, but they right. always say attack of the show. They always say it. It was, you know, on for almost eight years. And, and I was grateful to be a part of it, but I think that it really left this indelible uh, impression at a time, you know, at the, a key time in our sort of digital development as a species. Right. And now we're at this place now where we're having trouble with these tools and we don't know how to use them in a way that's positive. So, uh, you know, I don't know. I, you know, I'm, whenever I get into a whole discussion of cancel culture with people, it's like, I just look at, you know, Luke Skywalker. He did not cancel Darth Vader. You know? <laughs> that's a beautiful he, quote. <laughs> he didn't, Luke Skywalker did not cancel Darth Vader. He cast aside his lightsaber. He says, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to kill you. And what he did was, is he turned his basically fascist father uh, to the good side. And I, I always feel that way. I feel like you're not going to win hearts and minds by punching people in the face, mm-hmm. right? I wholeheartedly that agree. Just, it just solidifies someone in their view that they are right. Yep. Um, you know, I, it, it just, it further makes more, it's, you know, hate begets hate, right? So mm-hmm. I feel like Luke's, I mean, like that to me is the seminal moment of Star Wars is when Luke casts aside that lightsaber and, and it's just, you know, I'll die. I'll, 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 I guess I'll just die. Right. And that, and that turns Darth Vader. So that, that to me means a lot. I feel like in the way the culture is now, we need, we need some reminder of a different era uh, and, and maybe a different way to treat each other online. And your campaign is a living example of this because you are trusting the fans. You're incorporating them into your interview process, aren't you? Uh, they're helping you no, write absolutely. interview questions? Absolutely. One of the th- yes. Yeah, so if you're a backer, like I say, $1, we'll be communicating with backers. So every time, let's say, I'm going to interview Adam Sessler. Mm-hmm. We're interviewing Adam Sessler tomorrow. What questions do you have? For Adam, and then I'm gonna do. I'm gonna interview Adam with the questions I have. Then I'm gonna have fan questions, mm-hmm. right? So the fans will actually participate in it. Not only that, we're going to set up. I mean, you can also reach out to us by email, attackofthedoc at gmail.com. We're actually attack of the doc. That's D O C on everything: Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. Uh, we have a. We just set up a YouTube channel, and mm-hmm. the YouTube channel we posting videos, but we're also posting private videos only for backers. Oh, cool. But again, cost of entry, $1, right? Now, I think there's some other things that people probably want, right? Like there's, we're giving, we have a physical reward of a patch. I'm hoping, fingers crossed, we make our first stretch goal so we can afford to put out the film on, on Blu-ray um, and travel for the dock. But, um, but yeah, just, just come along with us on this ride. It's going to be awesome. But we're also going to be asking fans to send us to our Gmail um, and we'll have a format for this. So if you email us, we're going to send a notice out to fans and ask them to interview themselves and then upload the video. 
That's right. I mean, if, look, if you're taking suggestions for questions, I, I have a, I mean, do, is it like a dollar per question? Because I got about 10,000 I need answered on this. <laughs> no, 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 no. <laughs> what you do is if you donate to the campaign, um, we'll be communicating through backers only updates. And it'll, it'll I don't want to be too annoying with, with the updates, but it'll be like, hey, here's the people that we're set to interview in the next week. What questions do you have? And then we'll send an update only to backers. But you've got like, I don't know, it's like less than a week left. The campaign ends on November 12th. Which very, uh, so, very, very, uh, you know, uh, coolly of you. I, I don't think this is a mistake. You're ending it on a DV Tuesday, no? <laughs> oh, my God, you noticed. Yes, I'm ending <laughs> it on a DV Tuesday. How'd you guess? Uh, yes, November 12th at midnight Pacific time. The campaign ends. You've got until then to, to back it. Uh, so I, I hope that people like, just like I say, a dollar just back it for a dollar. If you see something you like, I think for 20 bucks, we're doing an official attack of the dot crew patch. Just cause I don't know. I love patches. You can put them on hats, jackets, whatever you want. Um, and so I, I think they're cool. So we're going to do a patch and they're also cheap to mail. So um, uh, yeah, but, but mostly like the other thing is you'll get access. I've never heard of anyone doing this for a documentary as we're making the documentary. We're going to be doing an, an official Attack of the Dock podcast. Oh, really? So, yeah, I've been in like, I mean, if you looked at my IMDb, I've been in almost, I've been in a ton of documentaries, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. They come out, they interview me for like an hour, and I'm in the documentary for two minutes. <laughs> so what we're going to do is I'll be interviewing, let's say, Adam Sessler. Adam ends up being in the dock for maybe a minute or two. But if you're a backer of the campaign, we are putting out an official podcast where you can hear the unedited interview. Oh, that is so cool. That is something I crave from like every single one of these kinds of like investigative reporting type things. So you never lose context right. You have it right there. That's so cool. Exactly. So it's like, you're going to end up, we're going to end up with a 90 minute documentary at the end of this process. Mm-hmm. But what we are going to be doing as we are going through the process, we'll be sharing these podcasts. I'm not sure that we're going to keep ourselves on any sort of schedule of once a week. I, mean, I think once we get a certain number of interviews, we can be once a week. But but I'm, it's looking like we'll have between 30 and 50 interviews, right? So it'll be a podcast that will last about a year with updates about the project and interviews with everyone that we've talked to. So in a way, you're not just backing a documentary. You're also backing an exclusive podcast. But the podcast is behind a paywall. You can't. You can't, you know, listen to it unless you're part of the project. It's not going to be a podcast for general release at all. You're offering certainly more than your money's worth on this, I think. There's a lot of stuff for fans to bite into. Exactly. It's like, hey, at the end of this process, there'll be a movie. And then also, while we're making the movie, you can listen to all the interviews. And not only that, you can participate in us doing these interviews. So I'm trying to kind of change the process. The other thing is our final stretch goal because it costs about to do a real documentary costs about $300,000. Okay. But I, I, there are creative ways to do documentaries on the cheap. So how much money does it take to make a documentary? How much money will I have? Right. Mm. Um, you know, I'm not, none of us that are working on the dock are paying ourselves. We're just paying expenses related to the dock. But one of the things we want to do is after the documentary is over, to backers only, we want to release all the footage that we shot. So if backers want to cut their own version of the doc, they can do it. And I've never heard of anybody ever doing that. That's so cool. 
Yeah, you're, I mean, look, I don't know how much more you could offer people to get behind <laughs> it. I mean, certainly it sounds like it's everything any kind of fan of Attack of the Show could possibly want, and certainly then some. I mean, you're literally including the backers as part of this kind of excursion here to be a part of history. That's really. exactly right. That's exactly the point. The whole point is what I love so much about Attack of the Show was the fan army, right? Mm-hmm. The viewer army that would be out like, you know, something would happen. And the next day it was like this outpouring of creativity, you know, sort of, you know, memes and graphics and little, there'd be, you know, gift files and like, just like, like a show would end. And within, before the show even ended, people would be stuff on Twitter. You know what I mean? Like, like it was, it was the first show to have a Twitter wall, right? Right. The first show to really engage in a feedback loop, you know? Um, So so it would in a very creative one where the fans were part of it. So we want to do that with actually doing this documentary. And we've had even fans reach out and say, I met, you know, Kevin and Olivia at a convention. I have the footage. So, so we're, we're, this, this is definitely a collaborative process. I've committed maybe, maybe foolishly I've committed to screening the first rough cut of the documentary at San Diego Comic-Con in July of 2020. So we'll find a space. So, but it's to backers only. So if you back the campaign, um, you, you'll be invited to this special screening. Uh, and we're going to show the first cut of the movie. I mean, it will not be finished. I can promise you it will not be finished, but at least it will give us feedback from backers on what do you like? What, what's working? What's not working? What do you think of the ending? You know? Um, but we're, that's the plan we have we've laid out a very strict schedule for ourselves. And this is basically, basically it's a podcast that we're filming Mm. and then we're cutting that footage into a documentary. So uh, I I hope that people respond to it. I mean, right now we're closing in on our next stretch goal, but really, you know, to make a project like this, you're looking at like to do it correctly. And that's, you know, legal, legal wise that it can be commercially released. Um, We're looking, we need a couple hundred thousand dollars truthfully, but we'll, you know, We'll, 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 we'll make it for what we get, you know, like, uh, so there you go. So I think we got to ask this kind of to start to wrap up yeah. a little bit here. Is there any part of you that wants to see attack of the show return? I mean, if Netflix backs up the dump truck full of DVDs, <laughs> are you willing to take that, you know, show creator job and, 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 and how would that work? Or is that a dream scenario at the end of this? I mean, you've been hinting at all these wonderful goals for your project here, but if, if attack of the show could or would return, you know, where do you stand on that? Well, the thing is, I don't own the show, so I can't do it. Although, can I tell you something funny? I bought attack of the show.com. Oh, really? Oh, some, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Uh, apparently the someone just let it lapse a right. fan bought it and then i bought it from this fan oh shit <laughs> so i tech i own attack of the show.com so could you make so, the, the attack of the show.com show yeah the web series <laughs> uh not really i mean look there's rights issues yeah, i can't yeah. do any of that now right. if my efforts if my efforts prove that there's a market for this, that there's, I mean, the one thing I always get is like, why don't people do a reunion? Let's do a reunion. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, that's not up to me. I mean, it really is. I mean, if anything, it's more up to Kevin and Olivia, if that was something they would do. But I do think some reunion tour, you know, like Tim and Eric are doing 
like a tour out on the road. I think if there was some attack of the show, like live show, now that is something you don't call it attack of the show, right? Right. Maybe you call it re- revenge of the show. There you go. But, <laughs> but you do some, some sort of like some reunion. It could be at a comic con, maybe New York comic con, maybe San Diego comic con. I mean, look, my plan is to make this documentary. Everything else is really up to the cast. It's not up to me. And my goal is not to be a showrunner of Attack of the Show. Uh, and I, I feel like from a TV standpoint, I don't know how much people want to watch me talk about DVDs these days. You know what I mean? There's so many pundits on YouTube that I watch and really enjoy, mm. frankly, because it absolves me of the responsibility of having to do that. It's like, oh, cool. <laughs> Look at all these other people talking about movies. You know, I, but I do it on, I, I do a podcast. I do the film threat podcast yes. where I mostly, I mostly interview filmmakers, you know? Well, we are going to ask you to talk about DVDs one time here though, at the end, because we, we are have recording to, we this have. on a Tuesday and we have yeah. to we truly have to. get your, you are Chris Gore after all. So it wouldn't be right of us. We're not original, but we have to do this. more prepared podcast hosts would actually release this interview on a Tuesday, but we are not those people. So you'll probably be hearing this on a Wednesday <laughs> for our listeners, but nonetheless, since we're recording cool, it on cool. Tuesday, Chris, if you wouldn't mind in, in honor of DV Tuesday, do you have any kind of physical media or any kind of smaller indie films that have really highlighted you that you want to take notice of and pass along to some ardent film fans oh absolutely uh well one that i would say uh well there's a documentary this is a hard to find dvd (laughs) it's it's it's, uh directed by brett morgan it's a documentary about kurt cobain called montage of heck yes um it came out a couple years ago i tracked down the dvd i mean it kind of came in what you it's so hard to find this movie it's not available digital at all so um, Montage of Heck is just a brilliant, if you're a Nirvana fan, it's incredible. Yeah. It's made from like home movie footage and, you know, it's from his like personal sketchbook and personal, he would make cassette tapes, sort of like a diary. Huh. So it's, it's, it's really fantastic. The other thing I would say is another documentary. Actually, I'm going to give you two more documentary recommendations. Sure. The other one is called Fuck You All. Fuck You All. The Uwe Boll story. I heard you talk about this and I couldn't believe it's a real thing. It's so good. And it's like, and what's cool is that Uwe was like a recurring guest on Attack of the Show. Mm-hmm. So it ties in. But fuck you all. Uwe Boll story is great. And then another documentary called The Insufferable Gru about a guy named Stephen Gru who lives in Utah, who's this incredibly prolific filmmaker who makes terrible movies, honest, but honestly, but they have such heart that he's got fans like Jack Black and Jack Black ends up being in one of his one being doing a bit part in one of his movies. It's, it's, it's fantastic. So um, those are just ones that I think are very obscure. There's a couple of other interesting ones that have come out recently, but they're not out commercially. Look for a movie called the other Todd. Okay. It's mm-hmm. a, it's a lo-fi sci-fi movie. You can probably find the trailer on YouTube. So the other Todd is about, a guy that's having problems in his relationship with his girlfriend and they're maybe on the cusp of breaking up. And then a cooler version of him comes and kidnaps the loser version of him and then just starts like hanging out with her and to kind of win her back. It's sort of a weird back to the future. I don't want to give too much of it away, but it's like incredibly low budget science fiction movie. And I love lo-fi sci-fi. Sure. So it's, it's fantastic. So highly recommend the other Todd, I think it's at the American film market right now. So it's not out. Like you can't like go and buy it, but Holy shit. I really love this film. So I man, I could go on and on. If you just actually, 
you know, if you go to filmthreat.com, there like, you go. every yes. day we review, yes. like, we review like three to five movies a day. Just like go to Film Threat and you'll find out about the most bizarre movies that aren't like, I mean, I think part of the sort of negativity in the film discussion is people subsisting on a diet of Disney, Pixar, Star Wars, Marvel. And yep. if you only live on that. <laughs> oh, yes. If no. you only subsist on a diet of Disney, Pixar, Star Wars, Marvel, that's like eating fast food every day mm -hmm. you're gonna feel sick and you're gonna be you're gonna start to dislike the food the factory filmmaking that shoved down your throat i mean i agree with some of the sentiment of scorsese but i love a really good big budget studio film but i balance that by seeing a movie like spell you know mm -hmm. or you know these documentaries that i previously mentioned or you know if, if you have a balanced media diet you're not gonna be so obsessed with Star Wars, Disney Star Wars sucking. It's like, look, there are some <laughs> valid criticisms from the people saying it, but that, that's all you talk about. Go watch some other movies. Mm -hmm. From your lips to God's ears, man. Yeah, there's so much cool stuff out there, and a lot of the cool stuff is stuff you would never even think about, which is why, I mean, Film Threat really started with that mission to highlight smaller movies. And I was this punk kid in 1984, and started film threat and it, the mission has been the same from when I began it, right? Like it's not changed. It's there's other stuff out there. Don't just look at world cinema. You know, I'm a huge fan of Korean cinema. I just saw that movie uh, parasite, which is incredible. Yeah, so, that's a big, that's a polarizing <laughs> point on this podcast. Also, Mike is a huge fan. Oh, of is it, it? I was not crazy about it. Yeah. Well, it's, it's, it, it definitely lends a discussion after, but I love that. Actually, some of my favorite opinions, to read are ones that differ from my own because if I just read my own opinion, how am I learning anything? I'm sure. just living in a bubble. If I so I tend to I tend to consume people I disagree with constantly as a way to look at other perspectives. But um, you know, looking at all sides of an issue these days, I you know I, I might as well be right be labeled right wing at that <laughs> point. You know, I'm just. Um, but I, I like to look at all sides. It's very, it's, it's interesting. You know, it's, it's, it's interesting to have a, a it's interesting to have a discussion. I, I think you've hit on a lot of good themes here. I think you're absolutely right in that aspect. And this, I mean, if your documentary can feed to that end where more, you know, communication from all sides are oh, had, please. I think that would be a wonderful, wonderful end game there. Amen. Yeah. Well, that's a thread. That's a thread. Yeah. It's and, and definitely going to be the subtext for sure. And I, I appreciate you coming on and highlighting, if you wouldn't mind. I mean, just, you know, we'll, we'll get you out here on the last question like we usually do for MMO interviews. But just uh, my little preamble here, I, it's been our pleasure. Thank you for coming on. We hope you do come back sometime in 2020 to give us an update on all that's going on with the awesome project. Because, I mean, honestly, and I was telling also, Mike, before we hit record today, if it wasn't for some combination of, like, College Humor and Britannic, Blink-182, and, like, you guys at G4, I wouldn't have survived college and law school. It was like truly appointment television for me. So like, thank you so wow. much for all you're doing and all you have done and all that you continue to do. This has been kind of a dream come true. And I know I, I speak for Mike also when I say thank you yeah. so much for giving us a piece of your day here and coming on. It was really cool to talk to you. Appreciate it. Thank you. Appreciate it. We got the last question that we always ask our guests here when we have an MMO interviews episode here. Uh, you have this lush background of all sorts of different kind of cinema. I think there's no one more appropriate to answer this than you, but however, it might be against his religion, though. I don't. We're, I'm a little wary of the question. It's true. That's true. It's, it might be. He Ooh. might have to walk a tightrope here. That's a yeah. good point. But what is the worst version of any movie that could possibly be made, according to Chris Gore? 
worst version of a movie. What would be the worst um, movie that Chris Gore could have ever... Just be as general or as specific as you want, but what would be, make you walk out of a theater thinking, my God, I hated that? Oh, God. I, well, uh, oh, God. Um, <laughs> well, there was recently... It was last year, but it was so bad... I, I I just I don't know I came out of it just ranting. It was a movie called Truth or Dare. Oh, okay, yeah. it was a Blumhouse film, <laughs> and I hated that film so much. We did a podcast about it. I was like, I can't wait till we get home. We took the recorder out. We started recording. It was me and a bunch of buddies from Film Threat, and we did, I just I despised everything about the film. And what <laughs> what what bugged me so much was just like that like. People had there were memos about all this. There were meetings. There were there's paperwork <laughs> that exists. You know, boxes of paperwork and files related to this film, and so much effort was put in. I mean, there's just as much effort goes into a bad film as a good film. So, um, so it's always a miracle to me when when a film turns out well. But that one just it was it it was so bad I was offended, and and so yeah, it just it just I was infuriated by that movie. That's like a recent one, but. You know, I'm not, I'm not a fan of special editions of films. I feel like when you finish a movie, it's over. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, even the Richard Donner cut of Superman, like he changed sound effects. And a lot of these things are done for legal reasons now. Mm-hmm. Wow. So, so like, um, I think I could give you an entire genre of movie that I despise today. And that is the live action Disney remakes of the, <laughs> their classic animated films. That is an entire genre that can just go down the toilet as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> Um, those movies are being made to solidify copyrights to those stories, yep. right? Like it's, and some of the, a lot of these stories are in the public domain, right? Because they're stories over a hundred years old. Sure. So it's, it's basically when you're making a movie for, because lawyers and accountants think you should make it. I mean, there's a whole documentary about that. The untold it's doomed. The untold story of Roger Corman's fantastic four. I was I was I was on the set of that movie because I'm such a Fantastic Four fan. Um, and speaking of that, if you actually go to attackofthedocs.com or you check out our YouTube, I did a stretch goals video wearing a Mr. Fantastic costume yes, with did. stretching art, and it's beautiful. I so, watched it last night. <laughs> well, we're we're this is going to be a series because for every stretch goal we, we reach, we're releasing a new stretch me in a Mr. Nice. Fantastic costume video. Very good. So awesome. there's going to be more coming. There's going to be more coming. Um, but it, it's it's uh, it, if a movie is made for legal reasons, that's not a reason to make a movie. The reason to make a movie has to come from a place of passion. It has to come, you know, with deeper ideas um, and 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 goals for it. And and I know. Look, I've been in, a lot of the projects I've been involved with are years in the making. So I know how tough it is. But um, yeah, I think that that is a genre. Like, forget those like horrible Disney live action movies and truth or dare. I just just think they're awful. Excellent. Thank you very, very much for that answer. And thank you for your time, Chris. Hopefully we will have you back. Uh, Give us an update as this goes along. And hopefully we, uh, we got a couple people to to contribute to the campaign as well. Well, 100% I'll be back because you guys have my phone number now. So uh, (laughs) sometime like, mid like i would say maybe before comic-con we should talk before san diego comic-con because i can give you like the update and and like where we are and i think that would be a lot of fun so sure at some point love to be back and i do appreciate it thanks a lot you guys had great questions oh thank you very much for that ladies and gentlemen chris gore chris we appreciate your time thank you remember attack of the doc.com
All right, that was Chris Gore. Like we said, FilmThreat.com. Uh, guys, the whole reason we had him on is to, to shine light on this Attack of the Doc documentary. If you would please find it in your heart. Like you heard him say, I mean, for a dollar. Literally, maybe the most bang for your buck that you can get oh, right yeah. there <laughs> for one dollar of a donation. You actually become part of this uh, moment in kind of tech and nerd history. You can donate. Find that at attackofthedoc.com or attackofthedoc on pretty much every social media site. I mean, it sounds like the guy could not be working harder to get this done, kind of flipping over every uh, every stone he comes across. And that's kind of what Chris Gore's MO has been. I mean, he's been everywhere on the internet for years now. You can listen to his Film Threat podcast. Yeah. Go to filmthreat.com. We've discovered so many movies there over the years. Uh, and uh, the podcast is something that I, I've been listening to the last couple of weeks. Uh, they've been doing a tremendous job wrapping up uh, the L.A. Comic Con. They did a, a couple Star Wars episodes that uh, Chris is the moderator of those discussions. But, Mike, he's got 1,800, and you, you count it. 1800 pages of movie reviews and that's not 1800 movie reviews that's 1800 pages of like 12 movie reviews per page <laughs> you guys think we put out a lot of content he's got 30 <laughs> writers from around the world over 30 writers from around the world they go to every film festival imagine imaginable uh you can find new movies hidden gems the the best of independent cinema and of course they are covering all the big movies too but we can do a whole nother podcast with him about film threats such sure. it doesn't that, that document <laughs> Documentary, ironically titled. We could do a whole another uh, series of podcasts with him about a million different things, anything film related, because he is uh, one of the pioneers uh, of nerd culture. Yeah, like we have a podcast today because of Attack of the Show, because sure. of guys like Chris Gore, and because of Chris Gore in many ways. Absolutely true. So, like Mike said, uh, be sure to go out, buy his books out there on Amazon. Fifty best movies never made, and the Ultimate Film Festival Survivor Guide. That's two of our favorites. Uh, do think about donating to Attack of the Doc. Yeah, this is please. a pretty cool endeavor and a really cool project that he's pouring a lot of, of his heart and soul and himself into. I think you heard that. And he also wanted us to mention, we, we talked a little bit after we kind of said our goodbyes in the interview, uh, if you don't get the Kickstarter in time, he's planning on also releasing a Patreon to, uh, to do with like basically another round of funding after the Kickstarter goes dead. So you have until November 12th, that's going to be next, again, DV Tuesday, next Tuesday yes. uh, at midnight is when the Kickstarter ends. But if you don't get it in in time for some reason, you can't find a dollar to donate between now and then. Uh, he did want us to mention and, and hammer home that he's planning on doing a Patreon as well to do kind of another round of funding. So really going above and beyond to give you guys everything that you could ever want. If you grew up on G4, like I know I did, I can't tell you the number of classes in college I skipped because <laughs> I was watching G4 and Code Monkeys and Attack of the Show and X-Play and all these wonderful programmings that just kind of were taken away from us without really much uh, say-so or input. And this is kind of going to explain why, hopefully. So uh, do check out Chris Gore's book. Do think about donating to the Kickstarter, attackofthedoc.com. Uh, and we once again just want to thank him for all his hard work and for giving us a moment of his day and coming on here and shooting the shit with us about it. Absolutely. We cannot wait for that documentary. Those will be our words of wisdom today. There you go. In terms of what we got coming up next, we're continuing our two weekly movie news and variety shows. We got Oscar Race Checkpoint that I think will lead you into the weekend here. We're going to review Harriet on that episode. Uh, and then we got Mike, Mike, and Oscar Weekly where we discover some new movies, where we review everything where we cover the rest of the movie world. It's not just a, an award season show, although we do cover some award season news on that show if it does break. Yeah. But uh, I, I love those two weekly shows that we do. And, of course, 
I think the biggest ongoing series, because we've done a lot of series this year, Mike. We've done Pixar. Sure have. <laughs> we've done Tarantino. We've done the Joker character study. That was after doing a lot of series last year. We've said a lot of words. The yeah. MCU, Mission Impossibles, Conjurings, and, of course, uh, what am I forgetting? The Halloween franchise. I had no idea, so if you didn't come up with it, I was of no help. We've done seven yeah. rewatch series thus far. We're insane people. We love it, though. <laughs> uh, we do put out a lot of content. We we want to be workaholics like Chris Gore yes. and the company over there at Film Threat. And I think we've we tried to live those statements. <laughs> so we're, the big series now is reviewing every single Oscar contending movie in our Oscar Sprint Profile series where you basically get all of the uh, future nominations. Sure. You get, a, you get your own episode for each one of those. So stay tuned, and we're going to cover the hell out of awards season to come. Yeah, and a lot more guests to come, too, whether they're giving their input on the Oscar That's race, right. whether they have interesting projects of their own going on. we got a lot of people, a couple people lined up already that have this confirmed, month. so hopefully we're going to expand that out. we got another couple people that we're talking to, so going to keep bringing you some, uh, some new and interesting and hopefully exciting content for you guys to listen to to get through these winter doldrums. Look, this daylight savings bullshit's got to go. <laughs> I can't be getting already. dark at 4 o'clock. No, I can't. I can't do it's it. It's getting you already. Oh, it's so bad, man. It's so bad. So listen to us. We'll hopefully give you a little bit of sunshine. It'll go a little longer oh, through your wow, day. You see that? that? Uh, guys, as always, want to hear your comments, thoughts, <laughs> questions, concerns. You can leave those with us. Mike, Mike, and Oscar on Facebook. Mike, Mike, and Oscar on Instagram. At MM and Oscar on Twitter. Mike, Mike, and Oscar at gmail.com.com. And on Reddit. We are available everywhere you hear podcasts, including and especially Apple Podcasts. If you yourself use Apple Podcasts, just happen to own an iPhone, or you know someone who does, <laughs> uh, steal their phone. This <laughs> if you is our go desperate plea. Yes. On the podcast app on the iPhone, that little purple square with a, we'll call it a gore, white gore sticking okay. out of the middle of it for today. Uh, tap on that. Type in Mike, Mike, and Oscar into the search. Tap on our logo. If you scroll down once, you'll see the opportunity to leave us five stars. Those truly go a long way and help they us do. out a lot. Be sure to donate to the Kickstarter, attackofthedoc.com, D-O-C there. Mike already gave you his words of wisdom, so I guess I'll tell you that we are Mike, Mike, and Oscar. We're trying to make award season year-round without the stuffiness guys when reality sucks you can come watch movies with us and learn about documentaries and all this fun stuff michael stop me thank you chris for we'll see you guys later attack of the doc.com attack of the show attack of the show